If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off the Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up into the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. What's up, everyone? I'm JJ Stankovitz. Welcome into another episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. Lara Overton's here. Casey Valier's here in for Matt Taylor this week. We got some minicamp to wrap up. We got a couple of uh, storylines to hit. We got Morocco Brown, the recently promoted Colts chief personnel executive, joining us later on in the podcast. A really interesting conversation about team building, scouting, with the next pick. That's what I was going to say. Is That's not his only title. His other title is like star of the With the Next How Pick series. How he comes up with all of the nicknames. The one-liners and, and descriptions and, 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 and analogies. Yeah. To tease it. He threw us one at the end of his interview, too. <laughs> yes, about he did. Alec Pierce. About Alec Pierce. <laughs> that you're going to want to hear. It was really good. It was really good. It ended on a high note. We're going to take your mailbag question of the week. We're going to still have Mayte's random thought of the week. Even though Mete is out vacationing somewhere, probably with a little smoky Weber grill, some no, hot dogs. Some I know where beer. he is. No, he's in Key West. Mate, I don't picture Mete as a Key West it's guy. It's his anniversary yeah, it's his trip. Aniver- ten oh, years. that's right. Okay. Ten yeah. years. So he and Mrs. Taylor are sunning themselves. Kids free. South Florida. Uh, good for them. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Okay. Yes. All right. I can see that then. Yeah. <laughs> I always pictured Mete as, you know, like, I'm going to go grill... Just take some time off, kick my feet up. Right. I mean, we talked about this last week. I mean, his bachelor party was carb day. So if that just tells you, you know, I mean, that that's Matt Taylor in a nutshell. So sure. I would agree with you, JJ. <laughs> well, but, but you know, we had elevated a notch because we have his wife, Sam. And, oh, right. You know, so, yeah. so she's pushing him out of the comfort zone. They're going somewhere new. For sure. You know, they're like Jimmy Buffett's or something. Uh, I don't know. I may tell may t- with the, you know, the, the beach shirt. Oh, yeah. A couple buttons undone. Nice we'll make cocktail. sure he takes some photos and <laughs> we can share them next week. cannot wait. Well, I'll be honest. He's been sending me emails, so I know he's still working because Matt oh, doesn't know how to take a day off. Stop working, Matt. Working, yeah, I wish he if would. If you're listening to Shut this podcast, down. turn it off. <laughs> turn it off. If you are listening to this podcast, your name is not Matt Taylor. Yeah, keep it keep on. It on. Yes, please. Keep it on. Stay with us. We want to wrap up a little bit of the Colts offseason program, which came to a sort of conclusion last week with uh, mandatory veteran minicamp. Rookies are still here. Uh, the building is still open. Coaches are here working with rookies for the next couple of days before. And God love those rookies because it's about 100 degrees out there. Oh, like, you man. know, like, we, here all the vets woo. leave, and then you got these guys who are here still grinding it out, practicing until noon. Larry, you and you and I had a chance to uh, take a couple players over, a couple mm-hmm. of the rookies over to a bags tournament. Not mm-hmm. cornhole, bags. Mm-hmm. It's what it's called. And, um, I mean, man, like, Jelani Woods, he comes out of practice just like drenched. Yeah. It's like, man, all right, well, here, let's go play some bags. They were good sports about it, though. That's going to be were, a good video when that's up on our social yeah. channels and Colts.com. I mean, he's from Atlanta, though. Like, he, he can endure the heat. Yeah, like, he's yeah. used to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the for the most part, though, we got our last look at the 2022 Indianapolis Colts before training camp. So after seeing the Colts do the last thing like the closest thing to real football before they reconvene at Grand Park in late July like did 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 your excitement level grow 
for this season because mine did. Like watching Matt Ryan, seeing Stefan Gilmore out there, seeing Unique Ngakwe, it's like, man, these they got some dudes here now. Um, I, I came away from this offseason program feeling really, really bullish about this team's chances this year. It made me excited because it's just something we really haven't gotten to see. <laughs> right. In recent years because of different restrictions and the modified offseason program and different things like that. So I I do. I think that part of it is because of the guys that you have who you have uh, brought together in this building that you have together in 2022 moving forward to the regular season. But it's also because, oh, man, I forgot how much I just enjoy watching this. Like, it's practice. I right. mean, you know, they're not even in pads. It's, you know, so it's you. Yeah. Do you get a little bit of a look at things? Sure. But for the most part, it's just the fact that you have something that we have had removed from us that we haven't been able to experience. And you could just tell how valuable it was for the guys to get those reps, to have time together, to do all of those types of things. And also, it seemed like that there was an eagerness for a number of guys to stick around a little bit longer, uh-huh. too. Like, it's not just the rookies. There are other guys who are around here who have right. put in work or you still see over in the weight room or, you know, coming through for treatment, different things like that. So I think that the energy is reciprocated by the fact that guys were eager to be here. Guys were really invested. Uh, JJ, you and I talked for a while with Unique Ngakwe last week, mm-hmm. and he brings a palpable investment into this team, as do guys like Stefan Gilmore and Matt Ryan. So you're getting, you, you always have an excitement from the rookies, right? But you do get a sense of these savvy vets who have been brought in either via trade or free agency that they almost feel revitalized and refreshed and there is a re-energized approach that those guys have i mean matt ryan you know the bullhorn was going off you know to, for change of periods within practice when you're going from you know special team stuff over to you know seven on seven eleven on eleven whatever it happened to be positional work and, and he's hollering at the the video guys and the football video guys like i mean playfully and it was just it, there are just moments like that where it's like these guys are having fun and they're mm-hmm. really enjoying what can be kind of a gr- i mean it's not as grueling as training camp but it's mandatory you're kind of slogging through stuff whatever it is you're not 100% uh, up-tempo type of things, right. but they were excited to be out there, excited to be all together. That's part of what I was going to say is I almost had to look at the clock and look at my calendar because I almost felt like it was camp. Like I got that sense that, you know, the the urgency was there. I completely agree with what you were saying, Lara, that I almost had to, you know, kind of take a step back and go, okay, it's not August yet. Like, even though I feel like I'm at Grand Park watching practice, it's great that it's June and that was a great thing to be able to see it in person. But I definitely got that sense of urgency. And, you know, we can talk all we want about, you know, how much Matt Ryan won the press conference. He won all of us over when we met him. You watch him on the field and, it's pretty easy to see how he can win you over on the field, too. I mean, he just had the command of the offense, and I, I am very excited. I'm just like you, JJ. You know, we're bullish on this roster. You look at it on paper, and you, you really look at it as a team that can do a lot of damage. And seeing them, you know, for the just the short stint that we got last week, it definitely got me fired up, and I, I'm ready for a couple weeks. Well, like, I mean, maybe more than a couple weeks, but when camp rolls around here shortly. So the, the just real quick on Matt Ryan – we had a chance to talk with him last week at the conclusion of veteran minicamp. I thought this was really interesting. He said he's going to go work out in small groups with Colts pass catchers. And he kind of made the comment of like, if you get 14 guys together, well, I only have one only arm. Only have one arm, you yeah. know. So well, later, he has two of them. I mean, <laughs> Okay, it's a good point. He does have two <laughs> does arms. Have he two. can only throw with yeah. – he's not – 
uh, he's not an ambidextrous pitcher, you know, like a, there are like two of them in baseball history. It's not one of those guys. That would be a really interesting thing, though. Can you imagine a quarterback who could throw with both hands? That would be awesome. Like you could, you could run. It's been attempted. To, I, <laughs> it has. I mean, we've, we've. I mean, I think Patrick Mahomes has really made it. You know, he's done a handful of left-handed throws. We we saw it here last year a couple I'm, times. I'm I mean, if you could, if you could have a quarterback who could throw with the same arm strength and accuracy with both arms, right? This is maybe. How does the, that affect your offensive line? Then that's a great. Ooh, that's what I was just about to say. Point, then that point. right tackle is it? Yeah. You know, you want to have two, arguably two but left tackles. You would. You would never know if you're an opposing <sighs> quarterback. Man, what, you know, which is the backside of the play? Because every play, That's everything true. could be on the front side, or everything could be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to Frank Reich after this podcast about this. <laughs> I'm gonna start getting my kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna start making my kids start throwing with both. I'm gonna, I mean, I, I want being a baseball guy at heart. Like anytime my kids pick up a bat or a ball with the left hand, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like licking my chops. I'm like, here we go, you know? Because I, I always say that if I was left-handed, I'd be in the big leagues, which is probably not even near close to the <laughs> truth. But I always want them to be left-handed. I'm gonna start saying, hey, let's throw 20 with the right and 20 with the left. Let's get it going. This has been like the dumbest non-secretary <laughs> man on this podcast. That we like brought in the Maytay's random thought of the week early. Yeah, yes, very early. early. Yeah. It, you know, it just popped into my head and I, it just, it went straight from my brain to my mouth with no filter of like, this is a dumb thing to go down, but hey, you know, here we are. It's, it's all June. part of it, right? So Matt Ryan said he wants to throw in small groups. Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated talked to Matt Ryan and, and Matt, Matt said he's going to work out with two guys at a time. So I really like that where you can really get some some quality work in just throw into say you know paris campbell and desmond patman one day and then you go somewhere else he i think he's going to california georgia texas and indy if i have those locations right so he's going all over the country and just those those one-on-one connections that you can make in those small groups i think are really really important now to kind of continue to build that foundation ahead of training camp what, for for how those connections are going to look. What I find really interesting too is it's just pass catchers. Like, yep. ooh, so that's obviously your tight ends in addition to your wide receivers and probably some running backs in there too. Like, I like the the usage of just all encompassing pass catchers. I like the. What? Opportunities and the variety that that. You think provides. a guy like Danny Pinter who goes, "Hey man, I caught pass passes. <laughs> I'm a pack Bernard Ryan. I caught a touchdown yep. last year. Am I included?" <laughs> One of my favorite things from the offseason program was this. Like you know, it's been kind of bubbling for a while. Like, all right, the Colts are going to use Naheem Hines more. They're going to get him some work as a wide receiver in the slot. And then you know, like the the smart Colts fans, the folks who listen to this podcast, are probably like, "I'm going to try to sneak Naheem Hines onto my fantasy team." Well, Late Frank told draft. him to do and that. And then Frank Reich goes and <laughs> yes, blows up everyone's spot by being like, well, if I had a fantasy team, I'd probably consider drafting Naheem Hines. And everyone's probably like, damn it. There goes that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Frank. Surprise. Now Naheem Hines is going to be a top 10 you know, draft pick this year because you got the coach of the team being like, yeah, you should probably draft that guy. It's great. It's great for anyone who was looking to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to be smarter than everyone in my league. It was mm-hmm. awesome. I, that was That's my favorite quote. Of the offseason program. Yeah. Um, speaking of quotes, I just want to play a little bit of sound here from Frank Reich of just what the Colts got out of OTAs and minicamp this offseason. It's unreal. I mean, I forgot how much you love this, how much you need this. Um, we got so much done. It's, a, it's amazing that, um, you know, you can play a season without doing this. So many details are covered. Um, you have a chance to, you know, when we're talking about those apps and developing a program, work out bugs and kinks. Um, 
you know, before you get into camp. So especially, you know, new defensive system, new quarterback, have a chance to get through different iterations of things was very helpful. So I, I thought, the, you know, the comment that Frank made about, like, I, I you know, I can't believe we used to do this. Like, we had seasons without this. Mm-hmm. I thought was really, really telling of just the impact that Colts, Colts coaches felt they were able to make over the last couple of weeks and months. You know, installing a new defense, getting a new quarterback in. The fact that the Colts in 2020 made the playoffs with Phillip Rivers where they didn't have any of this. It's really incredible right? that you know, you're able to put in that work and still get there. This just tells me that the Colts are, are so much farther ahead of where they've been in years past when it comes to what they're now going to be able to accomplish in training camp. Well, and when we talked to Quentin Nelson and I asked him about the value in those three days, he was really quick to point out, well, it's not just these three days. We've been here mm-hmm. for weeks. I mean, that was one of the first things that he went to. And I mean, he went on to describe how much work they've gotten done. But I think, too, that's that's the point of it as well, is the emphasis, especially offensively, that a lot of those guys have placed on getting in here, maximizing the time they have, you know, with a a kind of a revamped offensive line. You have guys stepping into different positions. And then, of course, you have a new quarterback in all of that. You're looking at incorporating guys in different ways. So, yeah, yeah. But that was one of the things that Quentin really pointed out was, hey, it's not just these three days. It's not just minicamp. Everyone was putting the emphasis on minicamp. But it's really like the last month. And that, that's that's the biggest thing. I mean, we did just get to see him for those three days. But that's one of the things I'm glad that he kind of reiterated the fact that hey we've been here and i think part of it too was kind of to make you make it a point to show that the last couple years maybe we didn't take full advantage of what we could i think i think there's a lot of guys that would agree that last year they they could have taken more I don't know what the word is. They they really could have been here more instead of taking. I mean, what was it? They were out by Memorial Day last year, um, and, and I mean, you know, slow starts have kind of been an mo for this team, and I think that's part of one of these things. They're trying to figure out how to get out of that. I know Frank Reich has addressed it. I think this is all part of it. Where they're taking full advantage of all the time that they can possibly get here in the building because it is very very valuable. And as we you know as we see, we're gonna, we're going to continue to see guys working together during this offseason. So essentially, when training camp comes everybody's been working for a handful of months yeah and it hasn't been splintered or fragmented right because of covid restrictions or guys not being in the building um it's been really good one thing we do need to talk about darius leonard last week had back surgery um to repair an injury that kind of nagged him throughout the offseason it it cropped up uh it sounds like a couple of weeks ago and it didn't get any better so the colts decided hey let's get out ahead of this let's get the procedure done um, there is some thought that this could also help alleviate some of his ankle issues that have yeah. nagged him for the last year. Um, we'll kind of see how things go with that. But, you know, everything's connected, right? So hopefully this will, you know, kind of help Darius get back to being closer to 100% than he's been in the last few years. Darius, by the way, last year, I mean, we talked about it. This dude played on basically one ankle and had eight forced fumbles. It's unreal. Was an all-pro for the third time in his career. <laughs> I mean, it's remarkable. Um so I guess the, the question now becomes, when will Darius be ready to practice again, to play again? Frank Reich said, you know, it could be sometime during training camp that he misses, uh, but then, you know, the, the Colts are expecting he'll be ready for the start of the season. Any concern about Darius potentially missing training camp? 
For me, no. I, th- you look at, he missed time last year when he yep. had the ankle surgery back in June, one yep. year ago. Mm-hmm. And he missed significant time and still played well to start the season. He was ready when he needed to be. That's what we've yep. come to expect of Darius Leonard is, to me, it's, it's yes, ideally with, with having a new defensive coordinator, a new defensive staff and scheme, would you like to have everyone? Sure. Is that realistic to expect everyone to go a full span of training camp? Probably not, especially because vet guys always get vet days in camp. They get rest days, all of that. What you need to be sure of is that Darius is, first and foremost, 100% healthy to come back and play when he's ready. Two, that he has a mastery of the playbook and the scheme, and you know that he's going to do that. He's a guy who spends an immense amount of time in you know his, his time away from the facility when he's been rehabbing or when he's been studying film, doing all those things. He's going to do all of that. And also, this is great experience for guys like EJ Speed right. to step up and get those reps when they might need to get them in the season. And go back to, you know, the game in Arizona yep. when EJ had to start for Darius Leonard and the way that he played showed you a lot. So yeah. Well, and, and real quick, Lara, the way that he played in that game was the way that he played when Darius missed those days in training camp right. last year. I mean, that's that's the value of getting EJ some of these reps. Darius is also one of the smartest players, like football players I've ever been around. So the mental side of it, you do not worry about that at all. With yeah, them. yeah. And that's one of the things that I, I kind of look at is, yeah, you'd love to see him out there, but you know the kind of player you have in Darius Leonard. So I don't think you're at all, you know, that worried if he's missing on the reps in camp because I think everybody would agree here. You saw what percentage do you think he played at last year? Sixty-five. Yeah, that's probably sixty-five. Yeah. Probably about, right. about yeah. two. Probably yeah. about two thirds. And yeah. he was an All Pro. Yeah. yeah. So it, just imagine, just just put Darius Leonard in. Let's say it's eighty-five percent because you know once the first kickoff happens, nobody's one hundred percent. I mean, you hear every person talk about you. You play through things. So let's say you have an eighty-five percent healthy Darius Leonard. Just imagine the impact that that's going to have this year. And I think that's the biggest thing is you want to make sure Darius Leonard, when he's on the field, he's as impactful as he can and as healthy as he can. And I think also when you look at this defense, this is probably the best defense that Darius has been a part of. So imagine what he can add when you have all these. So he's not asked to do as much as he maybe has through the first part of his career as well. And I'm going to go back to something we talked about just a couple of weeks ago is how candid he was about the mental toll and Mm -hmm. the mental struggle that he endured at the end of the year and the early part of the offseason. So this is a time for him too to not only heal physically, but also to cope with all of that and make sure that internally and mentally that that he is in a good place and he I mean it's the guy who said he was falling out of love of the game right he's the maniac Mm -hmm. he's the guy who you know bursts out of the doors to go to the practice field because he's so excited to get out there and you know he's hyping people up on the sidelines and he's throwing his hands up every chance I mean this is a guy who I've never seen exude such passion for the game if a guy like that says he was falling out of love with football that that is a serious red flag and something that you want to be sure you give him the time and the support and all of the resources he needs so that he comes in here not just feeling 100% on that ankle, his back, all of those things, but also that, you know, that 
that love and that genuine, almost childlike enthusiasm that he has, not just for the game, but for his teammates and and for life. I mean, he just is he's joyful and he's, you know, exuberant always. So you just I mean, as a, as a person, you care about who he is and you want to be sure that this time is also spent doing all of those things and caring for himself in that way as well. That's really well said, Lara. Um that's going to kind of wrap up our discussion here of minicamp and the offseason program. Let's get to Morocco Brown. Really good stuff here. Hope you guys enjoy this. Joining us here on the podcast is Colts Chief Personnel Executive Morocco Brown. That is a new title. Uh, Morocco was promoted last week from Director of College Scouting, a position he held in the Colts front office since 2017. Morocco, how does the move change your responsibilities and your assignments uh, within the Colts front office? Yeah, well, the role, it'll be more diverse and that I'll have more pro work to do. And obviously I'll be operating a lot more in-house out of the office. Uh, So with that comes more administrative responsibility as well. Um, I'm still going to have the meat and potatoes of what I was doing as a college director as far as when the fall hits, still getting out heavy on the road. I'll still have between my 30 and 40 colleges to scout, but uh, I just think it's splitting – splitting my responsibilities a little bit more and being heavier like in the pro work that affects our team uh, during the course of the year when the games are being played. So I think it's a good balance. It's a challenge that I'm up for. Um, and I think I'll do a good job at it. I've kind of, you know, in our, our culture and our scouting in the front office, you kind of got to, you got to earn it. So once you put the work in, you get a chance to, to bump up and just continue to prove yourself. And I think I'm ready to do that. No doubt that you are, and you mentioned the culture that there is, and I talk a lot to all of you guys, especially over the course of the winter and the spring as we're producing with the next pick and we're you know it going in depth on what you guys are doing and what you're looking at and in talking with a few of the scouts who've been in the building over the last week because of uh, that mini camp and all of that that's going on and then a few of the rookies who are in the building this week. There are a number of people. This promotion for you is one of several among this scouting staff. What indication is it of the talent that's there, the respect that there is among this group where there hasn't been an immense amount of turnover? And rather than bring in a lot of new people into these positions, people have just continued to earn opportunities and be elevated within this staff. Yeah, I, good point. I think that really it speaks to – Chris Ballard's trust in our scouting staff, uh, number one. And then it lets you know the quality of work that's getting done to help build the team from August to April. So um, I feel like you become stronger when you can promote from within. I mean, you want to resign your own people before mm-hmm. you go outside the building and try to hire somebody else. That's on the field, and I think it also stands true in the front office. But uh, I think with our staff entering like the sixth year, it just brings a lot of certainty. It brings a lot of stability for our processes. We've been doing this together for a while. And uh, like I said, it just speaks to the people that we have. I mean, you win with the people that are in your building. We have a strong, strong scouting staff, and Chris trusts us. And so it's been paying dividends, and I think it will continue to do so. Morocco, uh, along those lines, when you've had so much continuity, how do you and the rest of the scouting staff, how do you keep ideas fresh, and how do you continue to – look at things in different ways where it doesn't become, you know, like inertia doesn't set in and, and you kind of keep doing things the exact same way you've been doing them. How do you, how, how is that 
process fostered new ideas even with the same people there? Yeah, well, I think one of the things, one of the foundations of how we, we do scout is based on the theory of diversity of thought. And so Chris is always pushing for, hey, look, if you guys have new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things, bring them up. Um, no idea is a dumb idea. Uh, the earth is kind of flat as far as how we go about doing our job. So, yes, there's a certain consistency we want to have. We know what does work. But then we we do want to stress test the room with other people's with people's ideas and thinking outside of the box. So we're always going to press to whatever that method is to try to figure out the right way of doing it or whatever makes us, you know, get one percent better. As Coach Reich always talks about, we're going to do that. And it just comes from, like I said, diversity of thought and not oppressing the, the thoughts of the room. Now, Morocco, one of those things that kind of everybody's striving for is to be that GM like Chris. And and you've known Chris for a long time, dating back to your days with Chicago and now here with Indianapolis. And you kind of look at what he's done. What are certain things that you can take from Chris as you continue in your movement? You know, what are things that you have taken from him to get to the spot you are now and what you're going to take as you move forward? Yeah, the biggest thing has just been uh, that I gleaned from Chris is authenticity. Um, And I think that dates back from the time I first met him, that's just kind of who he is as a person, but he just really taught me to be yourself and to realize that nobody can be you better than you can, which is a trait that I think makes you unique in itself when you just can be yourself, uh, not try to be somebody else. So being an authentic, original person is what uh, Chris has probably modeled most to me. Morocco, you've had a number of interviews for GM jobs in the past, and and you've had experience both on the pro personnel side and on college scouting sides, um, obviously, which now kind of blend together into your current position. But what makes you confident in your talent evaluation, your leadership skills, uh, that you're ready for that role when the right fit emerges? Yeah, well, I think I'm confident just, you know, once you have been in this league a certain amount of time, you're not here by accident. And I just look at having worked in four different buildings over the past 21 years. It's kind of given me uh, perspective on what works and what doesn't. Uh, and I've had multiple job titles. Um, I think that has deepened my experience bucket to be able to pull from. I've learned a lot just being in those different buildings and those different settings. But, you know, I think in the end, it really just comes to comes down to I've been in the on the interview circuit the past two years pretty heavy. And I'm realizing that at the end, it kind of just comes down to fit. You know, everybody's qualified. I don't, I don't think you'd be getting the interviews if you, if you couldn't do the job, Right. but it really comes down to fit as far as like the organizational philosophy, um, their philosophy on leadership, as well as yours on team building and those things just matching up for you to become the next GM. So once, once you can see eye to eye on those things and you show you have a plan for winning, uh, show you have a vision and a direction for the team, I think then the right opportunity will emerge. But, um, yeah, I'm just continuing to work and try to get better. And, hey, when it's meant to be, what's, what's for me is for me, and it'll happen in the right time. We're so fortunate to have the opportunity to go in-depth, kind of pull back the curtain on the whole process with the past few years of doing with the next pick. And so much of what we get to realize is, of course, the process that there is and what leads that room to make the decisions, draft the guys you do. But also it's such fun insight. And I'm saying that, you know, 
that's selfish for me because I get to get to see so much of it and get to show so much of it in producing that series. The personalities that are within that room that you work with every single day, that room, that war room with the scouts and Chris and Ed, it almost mirrors like a locker room dynamic in the sense that everyone kind of has their roles and their voices and contributes in a different way. You mentioned the different organizations that you've worked within. What is special about this group of guys that you work with that excites you to have more time to continue building something special within this building? Yeah, I think it's it's the diversity of skill sets where I think we have a lot of different people that are good at a lot of different things. And then Chris does a very good job, excellent job, actually, of, you know, kind of mixing and matching who does what well, where to put this person and accentuate their gifts. So this is I think this is the best staff I've ever been a part of just talent wise, like being able to assess the talent, say who fits into what we're doing. And then we've streamlined the process to where I think we can get everybody's superpower out of them when it comes to trying to to evaluate and uh, go through the draft of free agency. So it's just unique in that, not just at the scout level, but also at the upper level executive uh, tier. I think we've got a lot of good people. So when we go through our process, which is strenuous, and get to the end of it, I think we have a better chance of hitting on guys than we do of missing. And you're going to miss. But the, the the minds that are in there and the diversity of years in the league and, you know, you have just, just guys that play off of each other well. And that, that's what makes you want to continue to go in there and grind and work. And it keeps it exciting in the, uh, the free agency and the draft rooms when we, when we start those processes. Now, Lara has brought up with the next pick, and it's, you know, something, you know, for me and the fans, you know, not many people have seen that, you know, fly on the wall footage of those pre-draft meetings. For your perspective, kind of letting the outside into kind of your, you know, your uh, office space, if you will, how gratifying is that for you to kind of see the outpour that people are, you know, diving into what, you know, this is what you do every day? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome to see the response. And, I mean, we're in a point now in the NFL where you, you have to let people in. I right. mean, we understand that the players are the, the lifeblood of the team, but I, I like to look at it like the fans are the pulse. So your pulse tells you how strong your heart is, and I think when you have such a following with your fans, it just lets you know um, what you have behind you pushing you and the support that you have as an Indianapolis Colt. So, yeah, it's – there's – there's no secrets <laughs> amongst us as far as um, anything we're trying to keep from the general public or something we don't feel like they could see. So it's good to open it up and to just not just educate, but to let people understand and see like, Hey, this is, this is your life. This is your lifestyle. And this is what goes into making a pick or building a team. I just, I just think that's at the, the forefront of sports is the fan. And when we can connect and, and do like we're doing with uh, the next pick, it's something special that can generate um, behind the club. Among the overwhelming responses that there are to the series is how much people love 
your descriptions. Uh, guys in the room with you call you the wordsmith, and they say you, you should read Morocco's reports and just how he writes and how he's able to articulate things and some of the analogies that you make. And fans love it. They they always ask for more and more of your kind of one-liners. Are you aware of the immense response? Do you have people who have reached out about just how much they look forward to each and every season to hearing what you have to say or the banter that there is in particular in that room that centers around how you're able to describe certain traits, certain characteristics? I'm not going to say I have a heightened sense of awareness of it. Uh, <laughs> I think my colleagues kind of let me know. And <laughs> daily, no on a doubt. daily basis, we're, we're joking around and uh, they'll say, hey, man, I remember you three years ago, you described this guy as this or said that he was like that. So I think it lets me know that my words do stick. Um, that comes from really just being trained right. Like as a young scout, I had a couple of people that invested time into me and kind of showed me, hey, this is how you speak on a player. When you talk, you want people to be able to see what you're saying, uh, even if you're talking to somebody who's um, visually impaired. Like you need to paint a picture with your words. And yeah. I think on top of that, just growing up, I kind of have an artistic side to me. You know, being a little bit of a poet. Um, remember, my mom used to give me a thesaurus and just say, look, read this. Take 20, 30 minutes and just go through this. It gives you kind of a, a wider vocabulary span. So, I mean, things like that. And it's just being in different buildings, like I said before, and you you draw from what other people around you say and how they see it. And you're just always trying to learn. I think it's just a byproduct of learning and just trying to get better. But I can't explain it. It's just... Once I talk, it just comes out. It's not like I'm trying to say anything or I'm putting on that way. It's just, you know, I don't know. That's just maybe a gift that I have on being able to speak and say things a certain way where people understand it and it sticks with them. Maraca, you talked about being in all those different buildings, you know, working with Jerry Angelo in Chicago and, you know, Mike Shanahan in Washington and some of those different, you know, the the big name guys around the NFL, guys who've had a lot of success and I'm curious, as you've learned over the last two decades, what are some trends you've noticed in team building and how rosters are constructed, whether it's through free agency, trades, the draft, that really kind of resonate with you, um, you know, just as you kind of look at how rosters, again, are constructed? Yeah, I think the – I mean, against the backdrop of time, it's always been um, you build through the draft and then you patch holes – through free agency. And I think the architect of the team is kind of the draft. And then the free agency is seen as a maintenance man. But I think one of the trends and one of the things we're seeing now this past year is kind of marked the thought process, the thought process that if you can acquire proven talent, right. That's still young under 25 years old through a trade, then teams now are willing to, it seems like they're more willing to part with first-round draft capital to acquire those type of players. So it's just something that I don't think has been like a major roster-building method in the past, but there's a number of trades this offseason that indicate that like that's a trend that the, the league's headed in that direction. You know, how long is it going to last? Is it here to stay? But it just shows and indicates that clubs want to win now and that they think that a player is a proven commodity, a proven product where they're going to get 
a potential impact player, somebody they can win with, they're willing to part with those first-round picks that have seen, you know, as goal historically. So I think that's kind of shifting and switching. Um, it's showing the league's less patient, less patient, and you have less time to build now. So people are kind of just going straight for the kill. Well, you're kind of thinking about that, Morocco. You know, 2020, uh, you know, the, the Colts go out and trade for DeForest Buckner and sign him to an extension. You know, Chris Ballard has pushed back a couple times of saying, hey, you know, when people say we weren't active in free agency, it's like, no, we went and we traded a first-round pick and signed Buck to an extension. And look at how good Buck has been. It seems like it's harder to get those caliber of players in free agency. But now, like you said, with trades kind of opening up and teams being willing to part with that first-round draft capital, you can go find impact players through the trade market. Is it not – I don't want to say easier – but how, how different is it trying to f- identify that player via the via the trade versus via finding that guy in free agency? Yeah, well, you just said it. I mean, it it, it is easier <laughs> because you don't have um, the projection based um, dilemma you have with the college guys. Like, you don't know what they're going to be when they come in. You're, you're guessing and you're making assumptions and taking all the information you've had to say that he's going to be this type of player, but. If a DeForest Buckner sitting there, we already have a library, a car catalog of what he's done in the league. Yeah. So there is no guesswork. For me, it's always been if you have that type of a player that's available, you're wondering what's wrong with him. Like, why is he available? What are we missing? Is it injury? Is it character? And in that instance, you know, where Chris was able to trade DeForest, I think it was the 13th pick. It was a no-brainer because of the research we did to find out what kind of a person he was, what kind of a leader he was in the locker room. Like He was like the leader of the defense in San Francisco, and you heard some of that buzz and people talking about that when they made the trade. So I think those are the things you look into to say, if these guys are available, yes, we, we do want those players because it's instant production, but you just have to do your research to figure out uh, why is he available, and then really, we don't want to pay, we don't want to pay a player for what he used to do. We want to pay someone for what they're going to do. And he's actually been better <laughs> with us than he's been at San Francisco. So that trade was like a, a home run slam dunk. We're joined by Colts Chief Personnel Executive Morocco Brown. I'm going to go back to the draft a little bit. When you, you help draft a player, what do you generally look from for them when they start practicing, doing all the meetings, the uh, the off season program? And then, and then looking into this year, how do you think that process went for the eight players you guys selected? Yeah, well, it's early. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, early on, I think what we're looking for uh, in the players, we're looking for guys who love to compete and to attack the process. So whether it's in a practice setting, a training setting, or even, you know, in meetings, uh, I think the will to compete and to excel, it helps It helps close that gap that rookies face, right? And uh, it lets us know who's willing to step up, you know, in a league that I think is light years ahead of college football and where these guys are coming from. So that's the first thing. I think um, our guys have done an excellent job of it this far. Now, look, we haven't had one padded practice. We haven't put a helmet on. Right. Uh, did anybody. So uh, you got to temper your excitement. But I just think that um, – We'll see. Those guys have shown thus far that they're they're willing to compete and that they are obsessive about their craft and winning. So I think that generates trust from the coaches, and we'll see if that can, you know, bleed on into the preseason and the regular season. But it's it's a step by step process, like what we've seen this far. But 
it's it's the genesis of what this sport is about. Like you have to be competitive, right? Not just with your opponents or your teammates, but with yourself. And so that's one of the traits and one of the things that we look for. And you see it early on. You see that it doesn't it doesn't take you to have five or six years in the league to be competitive or to want to have that, want to be as, as good as you can be. So uh, that's kind of where we are with that. One of the themes we heard over the last couple of weeks as the guys were in the building for OTAs and then, of course, for minicamp was – this was the first quote unquote normal off season in several years. There was, you know, some kind of semblance of a mini camp last year, but it was shortened and the guys were out before Memorial Day. Of course, the previous year it was really limited. Same thing for you guys with the draft room. In 20 it was all Zoom and then in last year everyone was spread out in terms of different rooms. For you to come in last week, see all of the guys together really for the first time, seeing this whole group coming together. How great of a benefit was not even just those three days, but how much benefit could you see to having that true off-season program that goes through the first week of June and you have that period, especially new quarterback installing a new defense to be the, to set this team up to be where they want to be when you come in in training camp? Yes. It, uh, I think it's been ultra important um, when you talk about, especially with Matt Ryan being a new quarterback, it helps generate a connection with teammates. Um, we know that this game has a lot to do with chemistry and that it can only be formulated when you're on the field together, working together. Um, the past two years have been extremely odd and weird for everyone. But um, rep- in our league, repetition deepens the impression. Like repetition is the mother of skill. So the more reps that you get together as a team, they're going to bond together. Um, and get closer. And there's so much, you know, attrition this in, in our industry with guys moving to different teams. And, you know, every every year a lot of teams have a facelift. So with the new talent that we bring in, whether it's a rookie or somebody from another team or Stephon Gilmore or Matt Ryan, whoever it is, we want to uh, give those guys that chance to jail. And you only get, you only get a chance to do it uh, ultimately through – being on the grass, being on the field. So it's been great to get in there, even like you said, for a three-day session of, you know, veteran minicamp. Um, that's pivotal going into the off season because you, you really get to let everybody know, like, hey, okay, you guys are going to take a break, but this is where we start. We're starting where we left off at the mandatory minicamp, right? So I think that being able to create a starting line where we launch from is important, and we had a great – Uh, three days of camp, and we'll continue it through uh, training camp. One of the veteran scout described in particular of seeing the rookies out for the first out there for the first time is especially the guys who you worked on, the guys who you scouted. It's almost like going as a kid and opening the Christmas presents under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, and you get to you get to play with the toys for the first time. You get to see what these guys look like in a horseshoe helmet, see what they look like within this offense or defense or on special teams. Do you get that type of excitement when you get to finally see those new guys in the building, whether it's the rookies or a guy like Yannick Ngakwe or Stephon Gilmore or Matt Ryan who came in in the offseason? Oh, no question. No question. Because you see it all come together. Uh, it's all on paper <laughs> until you, you get on the field and, and kind of get to put it all together. But it is an excitement because it lets you know the season's almost upon us. Um, you get to actually see your work live and in person now, see how guys move, how they interact, how they compete. 
and really to this point, like it's, we haven't obviously we're not to the point of contact or collisions or anything like that, but we're studying the movement of the players. Like that's really what we're doing is to is studying the move, how players move and just seeing those guys like an Alec Pierce come in. And I mean, the guy looks like a human slinky when the ball's in the air, like how he's able to contort his body and move and those kind of things. And I think it's even better than you saw on tape at Cincinnati. So those things are encouraging. And then, you know, getting to speak to talk to players and kind of see how they're motivated. It's, it's all cool. And it's so many different parts and pieces that kind of drive this thing. And you need everybody all on uh, one accord. So to just be a part of that is special. I think that's why uh, team sports is so loved in our country. And I think that's why football is the greatest sport that there is in the world because you have, you know, 11 people at a time playing off each other on the field. And that's not easy to do. So um, when you can draft the right people, add the right pieces, they're able to make something difficult look easy. And um, that's why they're the greatest athletes in the world. It's, it's just great to be a part of that in any form or fashion. Seems like a good place to end our conversation here. That's Morocco Brown, the Colts' chief personnel executive. We learned a lot. Uh, got Alec Pierce as the human slinky. I love that love one. That. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go back and study my thesaurus now because i got to come in strong to training camp. Listen, as the team writer, man, I am on thesaurus.com all the time. i got to get a book, though. Hey, man. Idea. You watch, you, you, you talk in the meetings all this time, and you're, you know, you are really hard on guys. You're like, hey, maybe this guy doesn't quite come out of the route to do that. And then you see a guy, you come out there, you're like, wait a second. This guy's either been working on it or he's a little bit different than we thought. So, yeah, it's it's good to see. And, yeah, he, he does have a little bit of slinky on him. <laughs> well, Morocco, enjoy. He's a bigger, faster Jordy Nelson, so just for you. Ooh, Ooh there you go. I like it. I we like just it. keep ending this on a higher and higher <laughs> note. I love it. Uh, Morocco, thanks so much again for your time. Uh, enjoy a little bit of time off here before we see you back up in Westfield in July. Rock, you're the best. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Enjoy the break. All right, thanks again to Colts Chief Personnel Executive Morocco Brown for joining us. Casey, let's go to the mailbag. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to will. Remember, you can tweet your mailbag questions to me at JJ Stankovitz, to Lara at Lara Overton, to Casey at C. Valier Colts which is V-A-L-L-R-E-R. I know. I wish my name was like Brown. Valier. so much easier. But yeah, V-A-L-L-I-E-R. It's a tough one. But yeah. And at Maytag Colts. That's... Casey Valier. You know, it's funny because, you know, there's been numerous times where you try to have somebody pronounce your name and like... Good luck. I mean, good luck. So yeah, so I'm okay with anything. I Actually, I played baseball in college and for the first year... My coach called me Valier because that's how he thought. And then he he heard somebody else call me Valier as a sophomore. And he's like, why didn't you correct me? I was like, I was a freshman. I was not playing. And you were saying <laughs> yep. my name. So I exactly. didn't care yep. how you were saying it, coach. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, this mailbag question comes from Broad Ripple Darts at yeah, BR underscore darts on Twitter. Obviously, Super Bowl champs is the main goal. But what results would still constitute a, quote, successful season? On the other end, what result would be considered failure? I love this question. Kind of gets you thinking about the bigger picture as we're sort of been, we've been really granular looking at minicamp and mm-hmm. practices and stuff. Let's zoom out a little bit. 
What would constitute a successful season, Lara? First point, you got to win the division. You got to get back on top of the AFC South. That's what I'm going to say first and, and foremost. And then that's your path. Then going into the playoffs, having won the division, get a playoff victory. I think both of those things would prove to you that you, that the trajectory is strong and you are putting the organization on the path to long-term success. I agree. I'm going to go with two of those, though. I'm going to say winning the AFC South, but also winning in Jacksonville. I think if oh, you can do yeah. both of those things, <laughs> yeah. you look at the season and go, that was a success. But I think agreed, winning the South is so important. And I think one of the reasons it's so important is because the AFC is pretty stacked. And that's yeah. the easiest path in the playoffs. You want to be able to take care of your division and let all those quarterbacks out there in the West kind of take care of themselves. You Beat don't up be, on each yeah. other. You don't want to be fighting for one of those wild card spots. You want to be able to just to kind of take care of what you can. And, and I think that is definitely a success because, well, I can't, I, I'm blanking on the last time it happened. What well, was 20, 2014 since the Colts won right. the AFC South? So yeah. it, it's a division that, you know, throughout the duration of the South being there, the Colts have owned it. But for the last handful of years, the Colts have not. So getting that back, I think, is definitely the first point. Yeah, I completely agree on the division. The, the route I went for my second one, was go into 2023 feeling really good about Matt Ryan. Were you like yeah. a slinky yeah. when you on your route to get there? <laughs> I was. Yeah, they, they, no one calls me the human well slinky. Well played. No one calls me that. Um, but the, the Colts, obviously, we all know, for the last few off-seasons, have gone into the year after a season with questions at quarterback. Yeah. Go with, So this is essentially Matt Ryan – is good he is a solid starting quarterback at worst at best he is very very good and you can go into 2023 not having to address that position through a major free agency move um you know the the Colts still could go and uh draft someone next year if you're feeling like you want to go get that young guy and you're convicted that you know hey this this young guy in the draft could be our quarterback of the future but go into the offseason without needing to make a change. Right, at that's a good one. Yeah. That would be, to me, that would be a success. Because if you do that, by the way, you're probably winning the division. You're probably right. being competitive in the playoffs. And maybe, maybe things break your way and all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're, you're in the Super Bowl. You know, it, it could happen. Again, if you have that level of quarterback play uh, that the Colts hope to get out of Matt Ryan, a lot of things fall into place. To make a successful season, ask him about throwing with with either hand. By the way, next time we talk, I'll definitely do that. Let me know how that conversation goes. We're back at that. Oh boy, I am going to. (laughs) One of these days, one of these days, I am going to actually think about that and like actually think of a way. You try it out with Henry and Charlie. Let us know how it goes. Well, I mean, they they come from me. They're not going to be that athletic. I hope they are. I hope they are, but I was, can we get so, Marshall and Johnny Ryan out there to exactly? Let's, let's get someone with like better, better go. lineage. Yeah, you know, from Matt Ryan Some and his wife. Like his that. wife Sarah was a college basketball yep. player, right. so th- those kids are going to be pretty athletic. <laughs> My kids, sorry Henry and Charlie, but you come from daddy. Uh, what about dicey. Betsy though? Betsy got some uh, athletic traits? No. Oh. No, no. She <laughs> does quick. She does. Sorry, Betsy. I really yeah. gave him an opportunity. I totally teed him up to say some nice things about you. <laughs> I, there are plenty of great things I, I love about my wife, but she is not someone who, like, when she was playing softball, there's this great story that her family always tells about how she had to play catcher once, and she just had no interest in even catching the ball from the pitcher, and the umpire was like, could you try? <laughs> So that's where I got hit enough. He was done with it. Yeah. Um, 
it seems like we've already kind of get into got into some random thoughts here, but let's play the jingle for Mayte's random thought of the week. Mayte's random thought of the week. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Marco. You guys going out of town? You know if it's cold there? Do these vans get good gas mileage? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I just picture Mayte sitting on a beach in Florida and just having so many different things pop into his head. Among them, and unfortunately, Sam's the only one to yeah. be right. be his audience. Right. On Usually, these we things. can be the audience so, yeah. for this. She deserves an award of some sort because. <laughs> Among them, why is the letter W called W when visibly it should be called double V? Well, in cursive, it's two U's. Yeah, but no one uses cursive. Yeah, they don't even teach it anymore. No. Lara. You know that like they don't I even know teach. What they cur- teach well, yet. I mean, I you know yeah. I've got to I've got to do all this research now because I had kids and we're thinking about schooling. Not at all. That's not at all why I know this, but I know they don't teach cursive. And my first thought is, how does somebody sign their name? You just draw a bunch of squiggles, and that's good enough. <laughs> that's what mine looks yeah. like. I got a C and a right. V, and that's yeah. it. But <laughs> so, what other things about the English English language make absolutely no sense? Oh. Casey and I were having this discussion earlier. I don't think we have enough time. No, there's not enough time. The the number one thing for me, the plural of beer is beers. The plural of deer is deer. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) Who decided that? That's a good one. I, I that is that's one I've never really thought of until like, you brought it up. Uh, I think I want to say you brought that up to me about a month ago. Yeah, and it really got me thinking. It that's lives a really at the good front point. of my brain. Actually, <laughs> I, I've got so many. I mean, like here's one I have. Why do we park in a driveway and drive in a parkway? I've never understood that. But here's one that that I found actually yesterday. I, I never saw this before. Rough and cough do not rhyme. They're spelled. They do not. You mm-hmm. know, you got the R and the C. They should spell. But the word pony and baloney rhyme. How does that make any sense, right? That's the English language for you. That's a bunch you of You know, baloney. there's just a whole bunch of things I don't understand. Like I before E except after C, but then there's a handful of words like ancient where it doesn't work that way. You know, um, just like the I don't word, understand you know, The it. word kernel just bothers oh, yeah. me. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Like that's, no that's, idea how to spell it. awful word. How do you spell that word? It's, it's C-O-L-O-N-E-L. Oh. There you go. It's yeah. colonel. Well, you're from Kentucky, so. Well, well yeah. 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 From the Louisville area, you have to know how to spell kernel. <laughs> exactly. Or kernel Sanders. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that one's always been weird for me. Um, I don't know. There, what there are so many as we're like. You know, the like our boys are two and a half, and they're learning words. And Casey, I know you can probably oh, identify this yes. too with this too. But like, they're learning these words, and you're like, they're counting, and it's like they get to eight. And I'm like, someday you're going to realize that like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight is the exact same pronunciation as I ate something. Yep. Oh. And like, that's weird. Why is that? Like, who who decided that two words that sound exactly the same could have completely different meanings? Hmm. That's. I mean, I want to talk to the manager of the English language. It's like the I'm word saying. tier. In- we we have now gotten into a lot of ing- a lot of linguistics between Morocco referencing a thesaurus, and yeah, now yeah. we're going You're into right. delving yep. into yes. this. This these are the questions we needed for Morocco. You're right. Yeah. We should have really point. served this up to him. him. I mean, yeah. like the word tier and tier. So you've got T E A R and T I E R. They're spelled the same. Or they're spelled differently. Sound the same. But then if you look at the word tier and tear. They're yeah. spelled the exact same but pronounced differently. How does that work? Like, I, I just got, you know, and this is one of the things that I always love talking to a writer with JJ. Like, how how frustrating does it make you 
Because, you know, this yeah. is this is the – you went to school. You're an English major. Is that correct? Uh, journalism. Journalism, which is, you know, you had to take a bunch of English classes. Like, I feel bad for all those, like, English professors because they're probably like, I don't understand why any of this here's, is it, but I have to explain it that way. Here's the thing is I know I'm going to be terrible at teaching my kids English, <laughs> like sentence structures and conjugation and all that stuff because I'm just going to be like – well, this is how it is. Right. Not like this is why it is. There's no like, reason Why for is it, it like that? I'm like, I don't know. Well, that's any explanation for math and why weird things in calculus are as they are. Well, I don't know. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right. So it just it is. should just work. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I can't explain the theory behind it because it makes no sense. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I, I, there are so many things, and I'm sure there's plenty that I'm forgetting, but I just there, there's so many things. It just doesn't make now, any you know sense, and I feel bad for I'm people an, that I'm are not- l- I'm going to leave, and there's going to be all these that come. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah. yeah. You're That's just drop them, drop them in a text thread. It's going <laughs> to pop go. in yeah. your head. Yeah. You're going to be like, you're going to roll over at 3 o'clock in the morning and just be like, huh. We'll just Why con- is it, what, what could possibly make a G silent yeah. in a word? That makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll continue this next week. We'll have part two of more of I don't know if wants this. To <laughs> no, I don't think anyone week. wants that. I don't think anyone wants that. We're... No, we, we do not need to think about this any more than we already have. Uh, but everyone listening to this probably will now. Oh, You're, yeah. And let us know. Yeah, let th- us know. Thanks, Matt, for that that question. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Which I am sure he is pondering over <laughs> right. uh, over some cocktails with tiki umbrellas somewhere somewhere in Key West. What, what does Maytay? Is it Maytay a Mai Tai guy? Maybe a, a Maytay Mai Tai. A, Maytay uh, Mai Tai, a colada. Yeah. What, what's, what's Honestly, I feel like Maytay is probably like a Miller Lite guy. I wanna, it doesn't I, matter what? where the, he is, he probably drinks a Miller Lite. You know those cocktails where like, you tip over the Corona bottle and it goes oh, in? Oh, yeah. I, I could see those are fun. those guys. Yeah, yeah those yeah, are fun that's drinks. A fun, that's yeah. a fun beach cocktail. Okay. I like it. Happy anniversary to the Taylor <laughs> family. Cheers to the, the Taylor. Cheers to them for being good sports. That's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Official Colts Podcast presented by WinBet. Turn on those notifications by subscribing to us, rate, review us on the Colts Audio Network. You are not going to want to miss some of the episodes we have coming up over the next couple of weeks. On Friday, the last word is going to bust out burning questions on the Colts wide receiver group, as well as an interview with Paris Campbell. Also, this is really cool, guys. Later this month, we are going to have the Colts Reunion podcast series come back. Sit-down interviews with Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, Marlon Jackson, Antoine Bethea, and Ring of Honor member Chris Hinton. Those are going to be really interesting kind of retrospectives on each of those guys' careers, what they're up to now. Um, Really, really good stuff. You're definitely going to want to download those. Listen to them while you're traveling around the country over the summer. Uh, you know, driving places, flying. You want to stay tuned to everything we have coming on the Colts Audio Network. We are going to be back next week with another episode of the official Colts podcast. For Casey Valier and Lara Overton, yay. I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thanks. Thanks. That was good. Yeah, Thanks for ending that. the podcast on a <laughs> yay. We'll talk to you next week.